Stories on Media. This is Coming Out Stories. It's a podcast about one of the most important conversations of your life. Hi, I'm your host, Emma Goswell. A big thanks to Sam Walker, though, for doing the honours on the last episode. Uh, I'm glad to report, though, my voice has returned. Yay! Time now for you to meet Faz. He's a Pakistani Shia Muslim who first came out as gay, but is now out as a trans man. Faz is a real success story for AKT. That's the LGBTQ plus youth homelessness charity. He's been homeless several times in his life and has gone from being someone who relied on their services to become a trustee of the charity. We were very unstable in terms of our housing and living places. I think altogether I moved at least like 16, 17 houses over my childhood. Um, went to different schools, different areas. So moved from Essex where I was born down to East London and then moved in and out, you know, of East London. Um, so in, in that aspect, it was quite unstable, not having a fixed abode and uh, not having fixed friends and stuff like that. So it was quite a lot of moving around. So that in itself, I think, creates a lot of uh, barriers. And then, you know, to to come to a certain stage of your life where you're like, hmm, I should be with the boys. Why am I here with the girls? And hmm. I should be in the boys' changing rooms. And why am I in the girls' changing rooms? And this just doesn't make sense to me. So I do have an event where um, I think if I was to uh, narrow it down to moments in my life when I was, I really can look back and say, yeah, I definitely was fighting or battling my identity was when I was six I think around about six seven years old yeah. um, my mom does what all, all mothers would do which is stand me in front of her and get all the different types of hair clips she could find and <laughs> find a way to stick them all in my head so she 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 done that one day and she spent like a good five ten minutes like saying yeah you look really really good and I think there was a knock on the door when my aunt came home and in that split second of her getting up to open the door and I was looking in the mirror and I was thinking to myself nah this is not me what the hell have you done to me and I saw the scissors and I thought I might as well be a little bit creative and I grabbed a chunk of my hair and I cut it off <laughs> so was it quite long at the time yeah yeah it was really I've always had really really long hair up until the age of 16 17 I had really really long hair so I did have quite straight long hair but I just took a chunk and cut it and my mom came back and she was like what the hell is going on but it works in my favor it really does because I've got a picture of myself when I was around about that age uh, when my mom took me to the barbers and was like, so what can you do with this? Um, and he was like, I literally just have to cut everything off. There's nothing I can do. So I was a boy. And you were secretly thrilled. I was so happy. You don't understand. But obviously my mom had to make a point by making me wear like, so I'd wear jeans and a, and a T-shirt. And obviously as a, as a child, you can't really identify someone's mm-hmm. gender. Um, so everyone used to think I was a boy. So my mom started to put like really really statement colored shoes um with bows and pinks and just to make sure that they know that there's some femininity to this and yeah she always used to make me wear like uh, shoes with bows in them so everyone knew that I was a I was a girl was there a discussion around it though was she aware that you were quite happy to be you know gendered a boy and you didn't really want to wear bows with shoes on or did you just sort of go along with what she assumed she didn't really understand, I don't think so. I mean, two years later after that, I protested and I used that term because I protested. I said to my mom and, to, and all my relatives, I said to them, if you call me by my birth name, I am not going to respond. But if you call me Ali, which mm-hmm. is a boy's name, I'm going to respond. And that is my name from now on. 
And this was about the age of eight then? Yes, yeah, seven, seven, I think seven, eight. Wow. I was very young. Mm. I made it very clear I was a boy. And how did they respond to that? So my mum made a deal with me, actually. My mum was like, have a name that's closer to your birth name. That, like, that will be a lot easier for us to call you by that name. But if that's what you want to be called, then whatever. She saw it as a phase for a very long time, like, you know, tomboy. And I think when I got to the age of 11, 12, my mum really got concerned like something's not right. But I remember this. So she took me to the doctors and she asked the doctors, like, so there's something not right here. You just have to kind of explain to me what's going on because I know as a mother, my instincts are telling me that there's something going on. And I think if my mum was guided, she would have been more supportive. Uh, supportive but, she, you know, the doctor kind of just said it's a phase. And I think my mum held on to that for a very long time. But especially if it's a medical professional telling you, you're more inclined to believe them, I guess, aren't you? Of course, yeah. So I, f- I feel like that kind of changed everything, I think. It changed a lot of things in the sense that my mum was like, okay, it's a phase, we can kind of change it. If it was medical, my mum would have been a little bit more like, okay, cool. Like, or something that the doctor said, you know, this is a thing and you just need to be supportive. I think my mum would have been supportive. But I think it was a battle after then a lot in terms of like what kind of clothing I wore, how I identified myself. I think it's difficult to explain because um, my father passed away when I was five. So there was a lot of dealing with not having a father, a lot of dealing with not having a set abode, a lot dealing with my identity, not just as my gender identity, but my cultural identity, my religious identity. What religion are you from? So I was raised, raised in an Islamic Muslim household. Very open but also uh, gender is like a a very cultural thing majority of the times and I think it was a lot of gender role playing which I think made me feel even more at unease. What do you mean what you were role playing or they thought you were role playing? No so I, I guess like you know when you I mean I can only speak for my culture so coming from like a Pakistani culture I think it was kind of difficult because, you know, they set rules. And I think a lot of like Asia, a lot of Middle East has has this set like ideas of what gender is. So a lot of you have to dress a particular way, you have to cook, you have to clean, you have to do all these things. And there's a lot more restrictions, which I found myself facing, but not really understanding because to me, I was a boy. And it was like, if my brothers are going here, then why can't I go here? And it was, yeah, it was a, a battle trying to understand that whilst also trying to deal with puberty when this this came out of time you know I was 13 years old when my mum was diagnosed with cancer oh gosh I'm sorry so that's school years trying to like deal with puberty and my body changing and periods and all of that stuff that comes with it plus also watching the one person that I knew to be strong not being strong anymore or not having the physical capacity to move around to be honest with you she was like our best friend she was our mom she was our dad she was everything because we only had each other what about grandparents were they around or not oh yeah by the time I was born I only had one grandparent left and she's done an incredible job at raising us um I think when my my, my father passed away my, my grandma was very present in our lives she used to live with us and she's done phenomenal I mean she's 90 years old and life is serving her so well right now she's got amazing memories 
she's got a little book where she recalls all the dates and everything that takes place and she's like do you remember this day you bought this and this day you done that and I was like wow okay cool like like yeah so she uh, props to her she really has has done a phenomenal job and uh, um, at taking care of us and, and my aunt my mom's older sister for the past 13 14 years it's well way before my mom passed away uh, she's been very present in our life and I think that gave stability but at the same time confusion difficult sounds a difficult childhood without putting being trans into the equation it sounds a difficult childhood anyway but did you have any understanding of what it meant to be trans did you have any role models or were you just sort of going through this alone and being a bit confused really I think when I was going through the stage of identifying my gender or realizing what I was you know media wasn't that way and it wasn't very open to have those conversations I think a lot older when I was like 22 23 um, or in the last decade trans visibility has become a thing prior to that it was very much like not very out there and I think that was difficult as well and I think it was a lot difficult coming from like a Muslim um, Asian background because uh, you don't really have role models like that uh, that you can look up to so I didn't really have that I think it wasn't until I was doing my dissertation in uni that I realized, hold on, what you call me is trans. Like I can really fit into the trans category. Before that, it was a very, very much identifying myself as gay because being called a lesbian meant I was a woman and that was not who I was. And the only thing that I could comprehend putting myself into would be gay. But it, that didn't make sense either. <laughs> Just, but you knew you were attracted to women, right? Yeah, so I, I knew always, that's always been one thing that I've been certain about, but in terms of where I fit into, what I fit into, and I know like everyone's anti-labels and anti all that stuff, and I get that, but when you're very young, labels mean a lot. When you're a lot older, you can be very strong in who you are, and that's fine, you can, you can turf them, you can chuck them to the side, but when you're very, very young and the world is very black and white and very this or that and very binaried, it's very difficult for you to feel like, oh, I'm in grey and I'm happy to be in grey. Mm. So what was going on at school when you were growing up and um, as a teenager? Were, was there any form of bullying? Were people noticing that you were dressing differently or behaving differently? Were, were people giving you <laughs> grief for it or not? <laughs> oh, my days. Okay, so primary school was kind of strange. I would, I would hang around with the boys and I was the first girl to be in the cricket team wow ever they never had a female being in the cricket team and for me that was big and my mum was very supportive she used to take me to all my extracurricular stuff and I trust me I was signed up to everything <laughs> <laughs> um to me it was just pushing myself I just had to be in that position where I pushed myself maybe it was escapism maybe I don't know what it was but it was just a matter of I've got to prove to myself and I have to be better and you get bullied a lot, like, like, oh, why are you playing sports? And why are you doing that? And why are you better than us? And one incident in year six, I was in the classroom and I was joking around with a class clown. Everyone has a class clown. Um, and he's usually cool with me, but this particular time he thought, let me pick on you. So kind of picked on me. And <clears throat> when he was losing the conversation or just friendly banter, he just turned around and he was like, at least I know what genitalia I have. And obviously that that took me far back because I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, it confused me. It made me feel like, wait, hold on, what? Who even says that? 
Like, mm. why are you even bringing that up? Why is that even a thing? And and then, like, gender has a lot of, like, cultural bounds as well when I feel like, you know, at that time, you know, it was 2001, all that stuff happened around the world, and I was picked on for that as well. Are you referring to what happened in New York? Are you referring to that? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so 9-11, 9-11 happened when I was in year five, and so I'm guessing that was a time to be uh, not a good time to be a Muslim in terms of intolerance and bullying and people pointing fingers. Yeah, it really was something because I was kicked out a lot of groups like, um, yeah, but your people did this. And I was like, yo, I've been here with you and we grew up together. So what are you talking about? So it was dealing with that plus dealing with people being like, you don't even know what gender you are like or what are you like? So that was primary school. And then secondary school, I went to all-girls school, which was 50-50. I mean, it had its perks because I think women are a lot, girls are a lot more gentler. Um, they were a lot more gentle and there was less of like that element that I think if I was, went to a boys, like a mixed school, I think boys would be like a lot more vicious, mm. I think, because I've got friends that are gay and their experiences aren't the best. I went to a mixed school so I think I, I am quite grateful that I went to a girls school but you know that that random comment from somebody who wants to be funny for the day that will be like have you even started your period wait how did you even get accepted into the school you're a boy or do you even even have a chest or like just just all these things and everyone will just cackle in the back and it's like um so you did get some bullying from the girls then that was from the girls of course, of mm. course. A lot of bullying from the girls. Like, they make snidey comments, like, talking about your periods and stuff like that, stuff that I wasn't comfortable with, talking about puberty, which I wasn't comfortable with. But at the same time, I had no clue what was going on with my own body. Didn't have a role model. Didn't have YouTube that people can jump onto now and just find out stuff about trans people. I, I never had any of that. Sex education was very het, very cis not diverse so it didn't really tell me what was okay and what wasn't and I think like it's not safe not having that information especially when you identify as a particular person so so it's a very difficult and confusing time for you really was there a moment where, you, where it sort of sat and you thought oh right actually I do understand this now and this is this is me and I am a trans man was there a moment where it all sort of clicked and fell into place at the age of 22, 21. All right, so it's a bit longer then, yeah. So I always knew I was I was trans. I just never mm. knew what was what it was called. Like I told you, like at the age of six that happened, age of seven that happened, age of twelve that happened. So in my in my lifespan, there's different timelines, different events that can be noted as pinnacle to me identifying or coming to the terms of of who I am. Because knowledge is power, and language is power. Mm. And that power brings responsibility and that power allows you to identify yourself and really put yourself in a place where you feel empowered. And so at the age of 21, I was like, okay, well, this is what it is. This is what I need to do. Okay, so let me now focus on my religious identity because religion means a lot to me. You know, my faith means a lot. What I believe in means a lot. It's almost like I'm very strong in my, in my faith. And then it was more of like that battle, dealing with the faith element um, and my intersectionalities that came with it. So I spent roughly a year or two studying Islam 
uh, in the sense of where it stands with trans people? Well, I'd love to know because I don't, I'm very ignorant on this. I've spoken to a lot of gay men in particular and Muslim, but I haven't spoken to trans Muslim people. What, what does Islam say about being trans? Anything? So, so first of all, I'm from the Shia sect, which is a very, I think 13% of Muslims are Shia, so a minority. Hmm. However, 1979, 1969, I think, the Grand Ayatollah Khomeini in Iran heard a lot of commotion in his courtyard and he went, down, went outside to find out what's going on. And there was a trans woman who was like, I'm not a man, I'm a woman. And there's something going on here and you need to help me because you're the Grand Ayatollah. You make laws and you make rulings. So can you tell me where I stand? So he went away, done research. And I think it was live TV in front of, I think, 12.5 million people tuned in, I think. And I think there were at least 10,000 people at the actual rally. Um, and he gave the verdict and he said trans people should be given the rights that they deserve and it is okay and you need to support the trans person into transitioning. And it's funny because his rulings on it meant that you did psychological evaluation, which is the procedure in England right now. Huh? Uh, so you get that psychiatric support or they look into like psychology and you see a psychologist to see like your mental health. Then he looked into body examination. He said that's also good, also needed to find out if there's any biological variants. So that could be if you're intersex or not, or you have hormonal imbalances or hormonal differences, which means that you have more testosterone or more estrogen. Again, that's the UK process as well. You do a blood test to find out your hormone levels. Yeah, so it's quite supportive. I think after Thailand, Iran has the second biggest ratings of sex change. This is fascinating. I think a lot of people in the West will be surprised, actually, at the, the tolerance expressed by a Khomeini compared to some people in modern society, actually. Sounds like a lot more trans-friendly. And yet it's not great for gay people in Iran, is it, though? It is not. And um, that's something I think people are, are, are really fighting for. I think the trans thing was a bit of a grey area. I think a lot with, like religions in in particular there i think there needs to be extensive research into stuff like sexual identity and gender identity which i think a lot of countries are trying to do but i think they're very very far behind um so we could only hope and pray for the future of of our countries you know to be more lenient and more understanding i think it was just the other week i was reading about the gay conversion therapy within england within the uk yep still not been banned by the government even though they promised to make it illegal several years ago yep so, I mean, we're far behind. So mm-hmm. imagine countries that aren't even as developed. So mm-hmm. um, I do hope for a, for a better future for us. In general, the world, I think we can be better lovers. We can love each other much better. Um, <laughs> I think it'd be more understanding towards each other. I think that's what, that's what we need. Pakistan as well, in terms of their rulings as well, very progressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think 2018, on Valentine's Day, they had their first, first trans pride which was very successful amongst people. Um, so we are being we are being noticed across the international. And I mentioned Iran because, like, my family is partially Iranian as well. So, so the Islam religion per se is not anti-trans. It's not. No, no, no. no. And and it took me a lot. And to believe you, me, Emma, I've done extensive research into books, into rulings, into different schools, just to figure out, you know, where do we stand with this and. Mm. I'm more content in my religious identity. Um, I think that's what we were talking about. Now I am, and now I'm more confident. I'm now more sure. 
Let's just go back to um, actual coming out then. So was there a moment when you thought, right, I'm now, what was it, 21, 22, I know I'm a trans man, I'm going to go down this path, I need to start verbalising it and telling people. Who, who was the first person you told? Myself. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> was a good place to start. <laughs> I was like, yo, you, you're trans, you know that, right? <laughs> and we in it together, man. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you've got to tell yourself. So in terms of my pronouns... I was 16 years old when someone called me he, him for the first time. Hmm. Um, I didn't know what was going on at that time. I just knew he, him suited me best. And it was my my good friend from school who I'm still in contact with, actually. And I did send her a message the other day. I think I was writing a chapter in my book, actually. Uh, so I'm writing the book about my experiences. Brilliant. Jody was the first person, I think, who ever said, yo, look, what do you want to be called, man? Because... You know, we are crossroad here. People are calling you he, she, like, I mean, he or she, which one do you prefer? And I was like, he. And she was like, okay, well, from now on, you're he. Until this day, she has never, ever wow. not called me he. And I think that gave me my first sense of security. Mm. In it, I think later on in terms of family, it was my two younger cousins. I met up with them and they were going to meet up with one of my best friends. Um, and my best friends called me he. Um, and I basically looked towards them and I was like, listen, we're about to meet my friend. He's going to call me he, and I'm trans, and I just want to let you know that. And they were like, it's all good. Like, you know, we love you, and that's all we care about, and that's all that matters, and nothing else matters. And we just want to let you know, like, you know, we've always kind of known, but thank you for, like, letting us know that. So they were the first people that I actually ever told. Um, and these were the good reactions. I mean, I did have <laughs> great areaed reactions from other people of my family, I think, in terms of like, you know, my brothers and stuff, I think we were not seeing eye to eye until very late into my process. Did you try and have a conversation with them? Did you try and explain it to them? Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a conversation. You know, I was like, look, I sent them a long WhatsApp message because that's what we do in the 21st century. <laughs> that's one way of coming out. Yeah, why not? <laughs> I WhatsApped them because that was the best way I could do it. I just basically said to them, this is me and this is my identity and this is who I am. And we sat down. And we had a conversation and it went along the lines of Plato and Socrates and the mind and body dualism and a lot of philosophy and wow. a lot. Of <laughs> yeah. So we, we took a very different turn in that conversation. But my family is very, just a little background. My, my grandma used to be a head teacher. That's the one that, that raised me. Mm. Um, education was like pinnacle to our existence you know my my grandfather was working for the british import export inspection back when they were in india and so education was very very high so i think my brother's conversation went to a very educational <laughs> yeah you got the intellectual heavyweights in that conversation then blimey yo I was like, yes, they're going to talk about religion. They're going to bring this. I'm going to tell them this, 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 and that. They, they didn't even bother. They were like, okay, well, let's focus now on the psychological impact this has or whatever. And we just went into it. And I mean, I'm laughing about it now. But at the time, it was very scary. I didn't know what was going to happen. At that time, um, we've just been evicted from our house that me and my brothers were living in. And we had to move into my aunt's house. And, you know, she's got her own family. Me and my brothers haven't had like a a parent figure I think at that point 2008 to 2013 um, and 2013 we got evicted. Uh, sorry had you lost your mum by the stage? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. She passed away when I was 16. Oh, and we had to move into my aunt's house when I was 23. So between the 16 and 23, my brothers were my guardians and they were like taking care of me. And then at the end of 23, we moved into my aunt's house. And obviously that was completely different because the cultural impact, the psychological pressure, just a, a mixture of me not being able to relate, language barrier, um, all of these things really put me in a, not in a good place, I'd say. So she didn't particularly understand it then, I'm guessing? She didn't, um, and I did try to explain it to her, and she did try to understand. But I guess when, you know, when you're, when you're not in your own country for my aunt or for any, you know, parent who's the first people to come into the country, so I'm first gen, and my parents aren't really from here, so for them to understand these concepts is a lot difficult. And at that time, I was trying to understand myself what was going on. So I didn't have the language, the terminology. I didn't have any of that. So there was a lot of problems around around that. And I think I made made the decision, you know, I, I can't live here anymore. Mm. And, you know, I was really not in a good headspace either. My mental health was really bad. Um, so I kind of didn't know where to go until like one of my friends said I could stay around her house, so I stayed around her house for like six, seven months. Wow. And that was difficult. Was this about the time when you contacted the Albert Kennedy Trust as well then? Yes, so this is where I contacted AKT. For a very long time, I never felt a sense of belonging until I contacted AKT and I went to the first ever face-to-face assessment which was very scary because you don't know who you're going to see. You don't know who you have to tell your life to. And it was so friendly. It was so like, hey, do you want to get, do you want tea? Uh, yeah, I want tea. Oh, how many sugars? Uh, three. Three? That's really, really bad for you. And it was just like <laughs> a little conversation into like, it was just a little conversation into like, you know, making me feel more confident. And I think and on Monday, Tuesday was my assessment. And I think by Thursday, I moved into the Purple Door um, project. Oh, brilliant, because I've heard so much about the Purple Door, but I have never met anyone that went and benefited from it. So you really were able to move out of an environment that wasn't very supportive or understanding towards you and yeah. live, what, with other LGBT people or you're in your own sort of unit? Um, so there are rooms. There were six rooms. We were all in different rooms. You have communal places where we all just, you know, spoke. And I think it was the first time ever, you know, I felt a sense of I can be myself. Um, I can wear what I want to wear. I'm going to be called he. This is home. Like for three, four months that I stayed there, it was home. And I met my best friend there. Like we moved in later on. Uh, we moved in together. We have the same tattoo. We're like, <laughs> we're really, really, really close. And this is like my my best friend, like I call my family. And if it wasn't for AKT, I would never, ever have met her. And if it wasn't for AKT, I wouldn't really be speaking to you right now. I don't think... No. Um, I don't think I would have made it in terms of my mental health or in terms of being able to be here. So it was really, really difficult then. I mean, you didn't really say much about your brothers apart from the fact that they wanted to talk about Plato and Socrates, but I'm guessing they weren't 100% understanding or supportive then for you not to feel like you wanted to stay living with them and your auntie. Um, so my my childhood was really, really good. Like My brothers were very affectionate, even up until... I had to leave. It, it was always unconditional love because that's all we ever had. Only, we only had each other. Mm-hmm. Um, we are the only proof of our parents ever existing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that 
as no one else would understand moving 15 houses Gosh. the way we would understand moving 15 houses or my mom being ill, or all of those traumas that we experienced together, um, that can never ever be nullified or taken away. But I think, I think what was the problem was I needed to feel like I could be myself. And that's not necessarily an external thing. That's not necessarily for them. It was more for me in the sense that like, we're all on our journeys. For them to accept it, that's that's them. That's their journey. Um, for them to have space and to do it, that's their journey. Um, for me personally, you know, I was just going to start testosterone. I couldn't be in an environment where I couldn't be understood or where it just didn't make sense who I was. You know, I needed to branch out. And I'm guessing AKT gave you that support to start your testosterone journey and start your transition, yeah? Yeah, they they got me my passport. They got me my I mean my like just the basics, you know, like um, having someone to speak to, having someone that I can relate to, um, having someone that I can discuss, like you know my my frustrations with like being on testosterone because that's a whole new ball game. <laughs> no one tells you that. <laughs> no one tells you the mental implications of taking testosterone hormones. They gave me a sense of belonging, which I never felt. I ever had with just simple things like he just simple things like being called the pronouns that I am or just being valued for my experiences like if I was to walk into the office and something was going on and I shared my two cents you know everybody will be like oh okay well you've got lived experience so let's hear what you have to say and you don't really get that I've been to so many organizations they want to tell you how to be but you know how to be because you're living it yeah exactly yeah, so I, I I got that from AKT. So as well as putting a roof over the, over your head, you know, it sounds like they gave you real sort of mentoring, really, for life, and helped you helped you through your transition as well. You know, I went in there as a young person who's experiencing homelessness, and I went to become the young ambassador, then became the president, and now I'm a trustee. And like to be in that position, you know, it really like sees how much your experiences are valued and you get to see how much differences you make to other people's life and the fact that I was given that platform by AKT like I couldn't speak to people am I like I couldn't speak to nobody and now like I give lectures presentations to like hundreds of people wow well on teams I think the most people we've had is 900 people incredible so I'm not I'm not I'm not blowing my own trumpet I'm just saying that like they give you a platform to really share your voice and really say what you experience. I've never was told you need to say this or you need to say that. I've always been told, like, share your experience the way it is. Well, it sounds like they've given you a newfound confidence as well, but everything that they've done to support you. So it's just really, really lovely to hear a a sort of success story because you're now working for them, right? You're now now are a spokesperson for AK2. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's really, really good. I mean, I'm in a good place in terms of, my career and stuff like that in terms of support I, I really have that from AKT and it's it's just been a, a wonderful journey it didn't start off so good but you know I've I've managed to come to a stage where like I feel more empowered and I feel more myself. What would your advice be then to other young trans people maybe at the risk of homelessness as well because you know as we know there's a massive need for AKT and that's that's why they're there because young trans people are being either evicted from their homes or feeling that they're not safe in their homes and, and leaving all the time. So what would you say to a young person in that situation listening to this? Two things. One thing, reach out. The lack of support I had 
there is no lack of support anymore. There is so mm. much support out there on Instagram, on Twitter, and I'm getting old. I don't even know anymore. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, so. TikTok. I don't know how supportive that is for trans people. I've no idea, but I've heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not too sure, but I, I know I know Instagram. There's a lot of places where you can go, um, reach out to places like AKT, reach out to places that are specifically supporting LGBTQI uh, young people, and and just know that like there's somebody there to listen to you. And there will always be someone there to listen to you. You just have to take that first step. And that first step is the hardest. It was the hardest to to leave everything I've ever known, to walk out, move into a, an emergency accommodation and not know anyone. And that was the hardest thing to do. But after that, it was just easy. After that, it was just me understanding what my freedom was and what that meant for me. Because you, you don't know what it is. It's very scary like all of a sudden you have freedom and you're like huh what is freedom <laughs> so um that and the second thing is like you know you are loved you are valid and you're beautiful and you have to know that you have to believe that because you're you've been selected to be here you you've been chosen to mm-hmm. be here and so be be yourself be who you need to be and who need to be there will always be there and who don't need to be there well they're no longer going to be there, but you don't have to feel a type of way because you have that. You're a very wise 30-year-old. I can tell you have lived a life and a half already, haven't you, Faz? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, I really have. I'm not going to lie. It has, has been a good experience. I mean, I get to empathise with people and I get to speak to people. I think that has been the beautiful part of this journey, especially with AKT. I met so many people. I met so many different types of people and it's just been a wonderful, colourful journey. A huge thank you to Faz for talking to me. He really is such an inspiration. I just can't imagine how hard it must have been for him to come out in such difficult circumstances. And if you'd like to find out more about AKT, the LGBTQ plus youth homelessness charity, just go to akt.org.uk. They help young people all over the UK. You can find a whole heap of information and resources on their site. And if you're in a position to, you could even donate. We're big fans of the charity here at coming out stories their chief exec tim sixworth mbe spoke to us for a previous episode and he even wrote the foreword to our book available in all good bookshops next time you'll hear from david who didn't come out until much later in life he married a woman had two children and raised his kids as a stay-at-home dad until this happened when my youngest son started nursery school i was having time to myself and Obviously, the internet was starting to come in then. So I was starting to look at porn on the internet, as you do. So a few years later, my wife discovered something that I downloaded, nothing nothing terrible or anything. And also, there used to be these chat rooms, these forums that used to go in and talk to people. And for some reason, I either downloaded the conversation or something. Anyway, I kept it somewhere. But I kept it where she found it. And I think subconsciously, I wanted her to find it. I wanted a way out. I wanted a way to to come out, but I didn't want to say it because I didn't want to destroy her. <laughs>